Hi, I'm Lalita Krishnan and you're listening to episode 18 of Heart of Conservation podcast. I bring you stories from the wild that keep you connected with our natural world. This monsoon has turned everything green and fresh and wild again, maybe a bit too wild for some of us. So what do you do when you see a weed occupying space with your favorite flower? Fling it aside, right? I pretty much do the same. I actually find weeding quite therapeutic. But how can you be sure you're getting rid of the right plant? My guest today will enlighten us about the ordinary weed. She's Nina Sengupta, an ecologist who lives in Oroville and works around the globe as an independent consultant integrating biodiversity conservation and sustainable development options. She has worked in South and Southeast Asia, Africa, Finland and USA. She's passionate about food forest, food gardening, art, films, and making life science active and participatory for all. She has also published a coloring book for adults, the first of its kind on edible weeds. Thank you so much for coming on Heart of Conservation podcast. I'm really, really excited to talk to you. Thank you so much. Great to meet up. Shall we, I'll start with a very basic uh, question. So what is urban foraging and uh, how did you get into it? Huh, get into it is uh, entirely by chance. But um, what is urban foraging? What is foraging? Let me you know, explain that. That may help. Foraging involves searching, wandering and collecting things on your own from the wild or where it grows naturally, but for free. Typically, the items that are foraged are, you know, vegetables, fruits, roots, honey, and uh, edibles. But um, if you if you look at it ecologically, the foraging, the theory foraging involves two key decisions of the foragers, what to forage and where to forage. And for most animals who are surviving in the wild, wild animals, these are the two very critical decisions. So, up until, you know, about 10,000 years back when humans started uh, agriculture, humans too were, you know, hunter-gatherers and uh, for a lot of their uh, survival, they depended, they depended on this, you know, their skills to forage. So urban foraging is nothing but you, within the concrete jungle of urban areas that you find areas where things are growing wild, where you can actually forage or collect your... Um, you know, food or greens or whatever you choose to. Sometimes it's also flowers uh, for beautification, but also definitely food items for um, for free for yourself, not for selling, you know, for yourself. That's a very key thing about foraging. That's interesting. I never thought of flowers as foraging, but you're so right. And also to me, you know, foraging has always been a Western concept. You know, you hear, talk, hear people picking mushrooms or strawberries and stuff like that in the woods. Uh, in mo- and, but I'm sure in our country, in rural areas, people with traditional do th- uh, knowledge do this all the time on a regular basis. And already, and I'm sure the kids also, you know, know what is edible and what's, what's not. So I'm curious in urban India, when you're talking of foraging uh, and for free, is this... You think this is a recreational activity or are the people doing this regularly? Let me, let me address this whole idea of the Western concept. The right. term foraging is perhaps what we have tagged to a certain, you know, recreational activity, which is primarily came to us from the West. But, you know, if you really step back from it, how can gathering food that is seasonal, accessible and you can get it for free. How can that not be part of any culture and uh, in any century, really? 
so um you know once i worked with a tribal group in india um and one person i you know clearly remember him saying he kind of famously made a statement that as long as the forest lives tribal people will not starve you know so i kind of remember like like it was amazing to me because then i kind of thought that i am not there i mean where where he is and that's a huge there is a huge truth to that and if you really look into the you know traditional village life you have there are people who would say you know after school they would come while coming back home they will pick up this and this this and that which they learned from their parents what to pick and those are the greens they seasonally picked so picking where you know it was not recreational at all it was often not poverty driven either it was part of the lifestyle whereas if you right right now look at uh, you know what the foraging is in the urban areas you find people who are you know who have who are consciously shifting to a healthier lifestyle they are getting into foraging and those are i won't say recreational it's really going back to a more uh, sensitive way of living but you can call it you know borderline recreational too but you also find you know people who are um, who forage if they have the access to um urban poors who are, who actually forage for their um to supplement their income i always uh, find this uh, you know amazing this uh, typically old ladies who would come to the fringes of a of a market they never get a probably a place in the market but they would have their face on the footpath next to the footpath in little little you know portions uh, no weight or nothing and they always bring the seasonal you know greens and seasonal this and that very small portions of each now what they are doing is basically they are foraging they are foraging for themselves and a little bit extra they go and sell for this little extra money there some kind some you know traditional uh, seasonal weed like uh, what do you call is chicken weed you know potula quadru- quadrifida this you actually almost never ever find in any of the supermarkets or any of the you know formal shops you always find seasonally with these ladies so we do have a tradition of foraging even urban foraging but yes the more uh, middle class foraging perhaps came to us from the west right when you speak about it i do remember seeing you know women with very little uh, selling these greens and i always presumed it was from their garden but it's interesting that they probably foraged it <laughs> yeah so uh, in a in a city where would one you know i mean without being specific what is an ideal spot to start foraging in in the city my recommendation would be the first step to foraging is recognizing in your city if you have weed walks like the one i conduct and many cities do actually it's best to join them because um if you are new to this not just one you know join it as many as as many times as possible until you recognize a handful say five six of them almost like a second nature like you know you, you kind of see that and you know it is that now where you are seeing and recognizing it may not be the ideal place of collect, for collecting it because often these are in the cities these are next to the gutter or next to a in a leaky pipe or in a pretty terribly uh, you know bad uh, polluted water but these are actually quite excellent place to see them know them and recognize them 
now at actually at some point it's also a good place good play, good um, you know source of collecting seeds because um, you cannot you cannot collect and eat them because um, uh, these plants also often bioaccumulate and bioconcentrate which means that if they are growing in polluted water um, they are actually would concentrate those you know heavy metals and pollution in them so you definitely don't want to collect and eat where you are not very sure that the water is you know relatively clean so in a in a urban area once you have recognized and if you are going for a guided walk you will already know where you know it's a safe place to collect but if otherwise you know you say you have now become very confident of five six plants that you are sure you can collect then look at the fringes of the gardens even the edges of a you know flowering bed often you know where they get a lot of tlc which says you know tender loving care every day the flowers and all that get but you know the edges of that they start getting a little wild and start getting you know other plants which are not intentional these are the places where it is absolutely safe to collect from and if you know the what they are um you can and uh, sometimes like you know each area in india for example has a, a primary seasonal flowering time once the garden kind of gets over there is a period when it's this lull you know there is you know the next next um, you know uh, set of plants hasn't been planted these are also an absolutely ideal time to forage because um, the weeds kind of take takes over and it's very easy to pick them at that time and you're also very sure that they are uh, safe wow that's interesting nina i hope you're going to be free after covid time because i don't know anyone else who takes people out on weed walks <laughs> is there a network of people who do that or is i think it's only you <laughs> no i think i think there is there is somebody i mean there are you know, a lots of this you know pop up uh, lunches and dinners where they do farm to plate kind of uh, you know mm-hmm. thing so i'm i'm just guessing that when when they are doing farm to plate some of the things that they are collecting i'm hoping that they are also wild and not necessarily <laughs> the vegetables but yes you know i didn't realize that i was the only one but you know hopefully not hopefully we have we are a tribe and uh, you know you you were also talking of foraging uh, being free but you know free for us but is there a law is it legal I mean could you be arrested for eating wood sorrel or would you be doing a city uh, favor by clearing the weeds out um, <laughs> um in india really uh who cares what you eat as, as long as you <laughs> or you know you do not as long as you <laughs> eat is what you eat is not commercially super attractive or declared a narcotic uh if 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 it's not either of this category um whether you you know i have uh, you know whether i am surviving on wood sorrel or something else uh, really you know nobody to <laughs> to me feels like that they have the time to but it was you know it's interesting uh, anecdote i must share with you i you know there is a particular solanum like you know solanaceae which is in the nightshade family is usually you don't eat the leaves usually uh, you know people kind of stay away from it um but there is a particular solanaceae which is solanum nigrum which is very 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 nutritious wonderful to eat um tasty and all that and i it is it's quite popular in south india even though the plant is uh, grows everywhere actually pantropical uh, not only everywhere in india but you know beyond um it is not something very popular elsewhere in india 
So I went to Calcutta and I see that I am eyeing that right all along uh, on the both sides of my road, uh, of the road I'm walking, there are these Solanum nigrum, fruiting, beautiful, lush, and nobody is collecting because nobody eats them. And I have eyed them and eyed them for several days as I walked up and down. And then one day I decided I'll stop and just take some fruits as, you know, seeds so that, you know, I, I bring them back and, and plant them. And, um, and as soon as I start collecting them, there were lots of benevolent people who just kind of crowded around me and they said, Madam, don't, don't, you are going to die, this person. So, so I must say that they were very sweet, very concerned people who were very bothered that what I eat, I might, uh, you know, might kill me. But otherwise, there is no particular law um, to stop me from eating something which is, you know, I collect. Not that I, not that I have encountered, but I don't think so. What, uh, tell me why you forage. Is it just for the pleasure of it, for the taste, or? And also, uh, what do you get? What I mean is, what do you get from it personally? And also, what would you forage for? You did mention a few. Actually, to begin with, it was. I mean, I, mean, I primarily, and it still is. It's a, it's a fun. It's a sense of discovery, and there is a wow factor because there is that sense of discovery. And um, if you see something beautiful, you know, you, you, you inhale a chest full of air in wonder. And um, that wonder and appreciation of nature is quite priceless. And it almost does not happen. Uh, it does not matter if ultimately I get to pick something, you know, I pick or eat or collect enough. But um, that I know that they are there kind of has a huge uh, sense of security and well-being that is you know i i it's hard to articulate uh, that that sense that you get that despite being an urban area i have this amazing you know uh, wonderful bounty around me it's like even uh, in a concrete jungle like nature kind of let you know that uh, it is there for you you know very close to you if you choose to pay attention so um, for me um, I actually got very attracted to these tiny little flowers, uh, which many of the weeds have. And you wonder the detailing, you know, it's just too good. And, um, and, and you know, I, I have a, a haiku, which I actually had included in my coloring book, which says that a flowering weed, hearing its name, I looked anew at it. And it's so true because you figure out its name because, you know, of course, I, First of all, it was a wonder for me. Then being a trained ecologist, it, it's not that difficult, even though I'm not a botanist. It's not that hard to figure out, okay, let's identify this species. And then you read about it. And then you like amazed by the different qualities of it. And soon you realize that many of the, you know, rem natural remedies that you are very familiar with comes in bottles. Uh, familiar bottles they are actually growing right next to you so this is how they look and uh, some of them you can actually eat so that's where it is it started and it continues to be that because I, I still am discovering and uh, figuring out absolutely new things almost on a regular basis so the things which I um, get to absolutely love there is this particular weed 
One I already mentioned that uh, Solanum nigrum, locally called it Manthakali, and there is a cousin of it called Solanum villosum, which which looks like a tiny little, tiny little red uh, tomatoes, um, and it's beautiful. And uh, for my, for me personally, there is a plant called Comelina, Comelina bengalensis, and it grows. It's a prolific, has one of the most delicate blue and beautiful flowers. And it turned out to be that it is amazing for, you know, intestinal health, gut health. And um, yeah, so and, and of course, uh, Punarnava. Punarnava is uh, a very well-known you know, Ayurvedic medicine, uh, but it is also amazingly edible and quite tasty too. What I actually personally revel in uh, discovering is that ones which are not traditional, there are so many greens, you know, locally, if you ask, they will say, you know, it's it's a goat you know goat food um when when there is a terminologist like that you know that they are perhaps not in their traditional pantheon of things that they are using which also may indicate that it had come to become naturalized much later it, it is not part of you know ayurveda siddha and um, all the other medicinal uh, tradition but if you really investigate and find out about them they can be edible. They can be amazingly medicinal. They are just, you know, awesome. So I'm still discovering. I'm still at that at that wow stage. I can hear the wow in your voice. <laughs> I guess every time you're attracted to something, it, it sort of begins a whole voyage of discovery because then you go into it and find out more and more and more. Uh, Nina, you created a coloring book called Edible Weeds and Naturally Growing Plants of Auroville for Adults on Weeds. I love the idea. But what made you think about it? And what do you think the experience of drawing weeds does, uh, you know, for a person? You know, it's, it's a variety of things. And since I have uh, kind of come up with the book, it has also extended into uh, several other things which kind of justifies it. But uh, for me, it was... Uh, you know, I was very bothered about one character in me. I have noticed in me that, for example, there is a deforestation in, uh, going on in some part of our country. And we are all very bothered. We are, you know, signing up in some kind of a, a petition a signature. And then something else comes up, social, environmental, other factors. We are totally, you know, shift to that. But hardly ever there is an update on what actually happened to the other one. And it bothered me that how we are able to able to let go of that, you know, because there are people who for them, it's a part and parcel of their lives. And they are, whether, whether you forget or not, they are not being, they, they will not be able to forget it. So it, I kind of thought that perhaps that nature doesn't, uh, you know, in an urban life, nature is not such an integral part because uh, we, you know, we get our food from our grocery stores, supermarkets, we, you know, have a park nearby too. So it's not like if one goes, we go to the other, you know, it's not such a end of the story. And I kind of started asking people that, you know, how do they connect with nature? And somebody who had made uh, this uh, statement famously, that I really don't have the time and I don't afford to go and uh, visit, uh, I don't connect with nature because I really don't have the time and I don't afford to go to a national park every now and then. And it struck me that, oh my God, is nature so disconnected that for an urban individual to connect to nature, one has to actually physically 
take themselves out of the urban areas and go somewhere now of course there is always the bird watcher group and the other you know other uh, wonderful uh, you know tree groups and in different cities but what about people in general like they they do they connect with nature and i started thinking that what i can offer what i can kind of point out for me and for all of us that we cannot ignore that it is right there in uh, the cities and i could come up with weeds because they are everywhere and so that's how i started on uh, you know focusing on weeds more carefully to make into a book the reason i want to make made it make it into a coloring book for adults because it it's a, it has a concept that has remained with me since i was uh, doing my studies studies abroad that i had walked into a genetic class and uh, i always you know was interested in art and here i was i walked into a genetic class and the professor was telling that you know you can uh, pick your uh, pick yourself a coloring book and you can see this you know learn about the cell structure that that way and for me mainstreaming coloring which is doodling and coloring was always like you know you shouldn't be doing in the class kind of uh, training i had so suddenly mainstreaming coloring as part of your education really seemed very attractive and from then on i always thought that you know we, we should have our education also made a little more fun little more little more light so that you can do it yourself so the when i made the coloring book i wanted it to be experiential that by holding the book it feels different it is made in handmade paper it is hand stitched it has no use of plastic in it and when you are coloring when you are sitting and coloring i really believe that the act of this calming act of coloring has a, has an effect like osmosis the kind of uh, information gets to you even without you paying attention and so so it kind of gets to you in many levels it kind of wraps you in a in a certain experience it informs you about plants if you want to you know paint it crazy purple that's fine but you can still have a colored insert by which you can take outside and identify the weeds you want because everything is drawn to scale so yeah that's why you know i really hope people are listening with this lockdown we're talking of growing our vegetables and <laughs> microgreens and people are thinking of taking up farming seriously i mean this sounds like the perfect uh, climate to go foraging don't you agree it happened in our community how um, as i, I was um, and how it evolved here is i had made the book and i actually thought everything has been very organic you know making thinking about making the book making the book and i let it be you know i didn't you know start off with uh, doing weed walks and it turned out to be that uh, some people they were gathering up to know about local food and it didn't didn't have so much of interest that you know if you if you publish a recipe people look at it but you know they are not very sure so they didn't know so there was a group which started they started taking people a small groups to different farms and actually there'll be a demo on how to cook it so one of them in one of this farm demo demo visits that they had gone uh, they have found that they are using my coloring book as a reference so for a lot of people that was the first time they were getting to know there is something called a uh, you know edible weeds so they called me up and said you know can you show us a few so that was the beginning of the weed walks and i realized that you know one weed walk and one uh, session was not enough so it kind of became regular but even then 
even when you know very well that this is edible people are very interested learning taking notes i saw barring a few exception there are not many people who graduated from knowing the weed to actually cooking and eating them even though you know we have plenty of safe places where it can be collected but come lockdown suddenly this knowledge which was already they had gathered uh, they decided that uh, let's let's you know use it so there was absolutely amazing amount of energy we had you know there was a whatsapp group with hardly about 10 members it had become uh, soon a, a group of 90 which each one's you know Uh, sharing their recipe on how differently they can use this weed and that weed incorporate that and little taking pictures and you know <laughs> getting congratulation from each other it actually um, really brought it into a, a full circle in which uh, right now there are several people who eats it and also this is their way of avoiding to go and stand in the line in a grocery store they know that you know they can just go around and you know collect and have healthy and i call it ultra organic ultra organic food and um, you know it has been right simply wonderful you know there are recipes which i would have never thought which you know part of this community you know it has developed so it's yeah it has been a great journey as far as that is concerned weed recipes that's in your book i think <laughs> oh just yeah but definitely i think um, you should do a webinar there'd be thousands of people who'd be really really interested so uh that's another way to promote but so do you you do a lot of walks and uh, how else could we promote foraging school groups i mean now it's all online is there a platform that one can go to and read or, or forums to participate um there are forums to participate i have actually initiated a, a new uh, facebook group and also youtube channel where i actually uh, on a regular basis uh, tell more about the weeds in individual weeds so that they you know sometimes you, you see 10 and then you forget all of them <laughs> so so we thought that we will concentrate on one or two at a time so that you know it can percolate and uh, you know make make more uh, concentrated write ups on that make a little video how it actually looks in the because you know the walks we cannot do at the moment uh, uh, until like since the lockdown in march we haven't had a walk and we thought that it's instead of people losing what they had already gained other than the ones which are already using it's a good way to connect to people who are who can just you know look around their own homestead and start foraging from then on so yes we do have and also you know i feel that this activity is such a calming and grounding activity in a way that this has to come to each individual individual at their own pace so if it's okay to just you know sit with a coloring book read about it and then go out and you know get something read about it before you actually try out it's okay but there are others who do it much you know at a faster pace so the pace is decided by you but uh, once you are ready what is really nice that couple of things most of the foraging weed that we are talking about they are pan tropical they are available everywhere and sometimes even in the you know temperate regions um in the summer months they are available so i find it amazing connection 
that I am eating a wild here and that wild grows in somebody else's backyard halfway across the world or halfway across the country. And I find it very um, connecting. Uh, you know, that factor is just very connecting. And um, we make those connections through our, you know, through the websites and the channels that we are trying to make. And um, so what we are trying to do here is part of it is reclaiming our tradition because many of the weeds, as you get to know, you see that there are traditional uses. Then, um, which is, you know, we may have forgotten our lifestyle didn't permit or we didn't know, whatever. So we are reclaiming our past in a way. Then we are building on it at the present because culture and tradition is never static. It, it is dynamic. And part of that dynamism is that there are weeds which are probably not part of our tradition, but they are here and now. So you learn about them and you add to that, add to your repertoire of uh, weeds that you forage from. And thus kind of you are building on that culture, you know, that you are you you are connecting with the past and you're building in the present. And the next obvious step is to take it to the future, which you have, you know, touched upon just now in, a, in your question is to take it to the next generation. And I think that there cannot be anything uh, more amazing that as parents and adults we can do is to take this knowledge to the kids and have them that sense of wonder from a much earlier age. And um, so that's one of the things that we are trying. Um, I personally, in, in my uh, effort, I'm trying to reprint this book because now it is out of print, <laughs> reprint this book and have two more volumes. And uh, the way I want to do is it's, it's through crowdfunding because one more uh, interest in doing so in that way that I want to involve people, not just, just printing and publishing book, but also take it as a package to the schools. You know, the schools will have, have all the three books maybe. And as part of this uh, whole initiative, the teachers will get trained. I will have different sessions with the teachers and then with the kids. So that there will be many more of these weed walks and the weed knowledge that will go and percolate amongst the children in the schools. And that's where, you know, that's where you start picking up. You know, things will really get rolling. I think you've given us so much food for thought and the idea that it is getting in touch with the wild. It is actually the, the, the best uh, wilderness that you can remain in touch with being an urbanite. So it is, you know, when, when I am really connected to the natural uh, world around me, I am much more sensitive and sympathetic to somebody else um, elsewhere. And I hope that that kind of, um, Feeling comes in the in our decision making, in our in, in our choices that we make as consumers or as uh, individual citizens in making our uh, decisions. So that is the hope from weed to <laughs> changing the world. <laughs> well, this is the time to change the world. Um, but Nina, I also wanted to ask you, where do you draw the line when it comes to foraging? As you said, the word origin came from a very, um, you know, Western concept of foraging, um, where actually people do go and collect themselves to eat. But it has also escalated to being a part of tourism, you know, that eating wild is part of the exotic feeling. Sometimes not even going to the wild, you know, sitting in the city, there are famously these um, restaurants in Nairobi for, you know, now very famous for over decades, but 
we also now have started having them in India, is that if you go there, you will be served wild food. Now, that to me is not foraging. Um, for if you are sitting in your uh, city and somebody else is smoking the heck out of the rock bee to provide you the most amazing honey, then that honey has a lot more ecological uh, uh, problems with it than uh, than values because the demand actually forces demand beyond self and beyond the local area forces a greater amount of um, you know taking of these resources and um, it's a concern um, one of the things that i probably uh, one of the things that i also am very interested in is films i do screen um, an environmental film series every year and i am always you know a lot of my <laughs> a lot of my metaphors comes from films and if you even look at satyajit ray films or any films as, as such you see people people treat forest as the edge of civilization so when you go to the forest you let your hair down and you be somebody else and this feeling has uh, is remains there and as people have in the recent say last couple uh, 20 years people have started moving more you know there are more people who are working be, you know young people they are working away from their family they are uh, traveling they are uh, going into this you know tourism there are a lot more people movement and these people when they are moving and going into a very exotic place they are not necessarily you know sticking to their you know traditional meal or even the very hardcore vegetarians don't remain vegetarian and um, so many of the wild food are getting over exploited to serve one thing is to serve the people who have moved away from their own community elsewhere so that they have a you know they have a touch of their home and other people who are visiting and as tourists to their place and want to experience that taste of the wild without foraging so these two are actually very um, even though it is termed as foraging it's it's called foraged food you are eating local honey how you know how healthy can it be how sustainable it can it be it is actually anything but sustainable so one one more question nina i usually ask my guests to uh, share a word to improve our vocabulary and uh, i so i'm suggesting uh, ecotonal and uh, the term edge effect so would you mind explaining both yes it's gladly but i will start with a, i will take again a, a little step uh, before i go to ecotonal i i feel that um, that um, much of our lives are now locked up in the screens you know be it you know in the our mobile phone or in a computer screen and uh, that bit hasn't probably changed in our lockdown period either but you know life happens in the in the periphery so it is that peripheral peripheral vision we as individual have started losing more urbanites than not but there are uh, you know it, it's becoming a character like you know we are all if we are if you are going in the bus or a train or a plane we are still looking at our screen we are looking at our screen when you are watching like you know screen is our lives yet our lives are happening around so this is kind of in in ecologically speaking ecotone is the region uh, which is the transition between the two um two biological communities two um ecological areas for example estuary is a ecotonal area 
because it, it the land meets the the river meets the ocean and the land is there in that area that uh, confluence is the ecotonal area and naturally the ecotone between which is the confluence between the two habitat is always richer in species than either of the two so you know given the area you know per unit area there usually uh, ecotone holds more species now edge effect has a both um, you can have a both a positive and negative tilt to that edge effect is you know you create edge is something that you create it's not always the ecotone not always the natural boundary um suppose i have a boundary of the forest natural boundary of the forest and grassland that is ecotonal area and that is uh, that area will have more uh, species but say i have cut a forest i have cut a road in the forest and have created a edge that edge um is the boundary between the two communities like nothing and uh, forest would also have quite a bit of different com- uh, you know different creatures but usually they tend to have the more generalist species so suddenly you are favoring the generalist species rather than the forest dweller one so it has it can have negative impacts also uh, therefore you know as a as a ecologist always say that if you are actually have a forest is better not to have it fragmented better not to have cut a cut a road or cut a railway through it because you are creating more edge and that will actually affects the forest interior species or the health overall health of the forest oh that's great thank you so much nina that is enlightening to say the least give you introduced foraging i mean we knew you know it is somewhere on the edge of our consciousness now you brought it right to our minds and to our hearts thank you so much I hope you enjoyed this episode of Heart of Conservation. I'm Lalita Krishnan. You can listen to Heart of Conservation on Spotify or SoundCloud and other platforms of your choice. Keep listening and do check out Nina Sen Gupta's YouTube channel. It's called Edible Weed Walk. Stay safe and start foraging.